Uh, last weekend, I was in Milwaukee. My wife and I were at a Bible Talk Leaders Retreat that we went to, and uh, I did a lesson on compassion, and that's what do today. Um, but if you could turn to Matthew 11, we'll start there. Uh, before we do that, let's pray. Just bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come together and worship you. Uh, singing songs today was uplifting for my soul, Lord, and I'm just grateful to be in this family, grateful for all that you've done for me. Pray that your spirit would be in this room, that would be, he would be with me while I speak, and that uh, it, his words would come out of my mouth, Lord. Uh, thank you for all that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joel's out of town. He's in Des Moines, Iowa, preaching today, and then he's going to Omaha after that. Um, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, a lot of serving that he's, he's going to be doing that can be exhausting. Um, and so that's why I'm preaching today, because Joel dipped. Uh, it's just a good thing. He, maybe he needed a break from y'all. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, I'm honestly going to be off my notes a little bit today. Um, I was last weekend too, so it's just how this lesson goes. Um, but in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says something that, that really I love so much. In verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And turn over to John 8. In verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You know, we have a choice today, guys. Every single one of us. A choice to either choose the yoke that is light and easy or the yoke that is burdensome. Some of us are enslaved to sin right now. And slavery to sin is a heavy yoke to bear. And Jesus says, I have a light one for you, but you have to accept it. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I was put into some leadership positions that I did not want. Uh, <laughs> and this lesson was for a leadership group. So in, in reality, guys, we're all called to be leaders of someone. But I was put into a leadership position that I did not want consistently. You know, people would be like, oh, Grayson, why don't you lead this? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. But because you asked, I'll do it. <laughs> and it was consistent. Football, they were like, hey, you're a captain. I was like, I don't want to do that. And they stared at me until I stood up. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'm the captain now. And I never showed up to captain's practice. I wasn't very good. Um, wasn't a very good captain. Uh, basketball, I was voluntold. You're a captain. I didn't want to be a captain. I ne well, I showed up to captain's practice sometimes there. I got a little bit better. I was a very apathetic guy in many ways. Uh, my sin consisted of sexual morality, laziness and pride, and there's certainly other things there. One of the biggest things was apathy. I would see a problem and I would do nothing. 
Uh, and that's not really what leadership's about. It's not what Jesus was about. When he saw a problem, he did something. And so one time, I've probably told you guys this story because it's really embarrassing, and I always tell people this story. Uh, I was with a buddy, and we had some milk. We always drank milk. One day, my brothers and my friends and I, we drank six gallons of milk. So we really went in on the milk because we were growing, you know? That's what we do. We grow up. And so we were drinking a lot of milk, and, and I was holding the milk. Wait, no, I didn't do this. My buddy did this. He spilled the milk, so he dropped the whole thing, and it's just spilling everywhere. And, and he was like, oh, man, we got to clean this up. And I looked at him, and I go, no, oh, just leave it there. And he was like, he was like are you? and I was like, mm, 13. He's like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, dead serious. Someone else take care of it. Just leave it there. And I walked away, and he was like, no, I'm going to clean this up. So he cleaned it up, and I helped him because I realized how dumb that was. But that was kind of my character. I didn't like to take initiative. I didn't like to step up. Um, and so when Jesus called me to take on his yoke, there was a part of me that hesitated. There was a part of me that said, well, I got messes in my life, but I don't want to deal with that. I think that some of us today are probably in that same place. There's a mess in your life, and you look at it, just leave it there. I would prefer something else. That's not a place you want to be. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. So my hope for today, you guys, is laid out here in Isaiah chapter 6. In verse 1 through 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. My hope today is that we'll see the Lord and that when we see Him, He has mercy on us and that mercy inspires us to go out and do and to act in His name. Um, and I think it fits with the theme of the book of Acts. You know, taking, stepping up. I think we can have mixed motives when it comes to our actions, right? Sometimes when I think about what motivates me in life, it could be people-pleasing. Sometimes I just want people to like me. I want people to think well of me. I want people to look at me and go, that man is, is useful. He's helpful. He's good. Sometimes my motives are, I want pleasure for myself. I want to be feeling good right now. And what is it going to take for me to get there? And I act on that. Our motives can be mixed. Sometimes my motives are, I know what's right and I should do it. And sometimes my motives are, I love God and so I should love Him with all my heart. And it gets mixed. And what does your heart say about Christ when you have that choice? 
to either choose sin or his yoke. What does your heart say about Christ? I know what mine says. His yoke is far better, and I need some transformation. You know, my motivations are mixed, and I need transformation. And when we talk about leadership, we talk about shepherds. Has anyone ever, uh, and I'm, I'm actually asking this question, has anyone ever watched sheep or like been around sheep a lot? Sheep are interesting. Uh, so my, great, my great-grandfather had a farm, um, and then he sold the farm, and the guy who owns it now has sheep. I don't know if my great-grandfather had sheep. I have no idea. But he has sheep, and we go there sometimes, and the sheep are bizarre, because you'll pick up a piece of bread, and the entire flock will just come running. And they will jam their heads through these tiny little poles, like there's a, like a hole in the fence, and they'll jam their head through there and stick their tongue out to try to get the bread. <laughs> like they're crazy. And they'll butt each other out of the way to try to get to this bread. And the Bible, more often than not, describes us as sheep. And so turn to John 15. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say John 15? I meant John 10. In verse 1. It says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, And I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus describes two types of people. There's a hired hand, and then there's the shepherd. You know, I don't really care about his name is Ed, the guy who has the farm. I don't really care about his sheep that much. They're kind of cute, but like I don't care. And so if a wolf came at the sheep, I, and there was wolves. There's a lot of wolves in northern Minnesota killing the sheep. If a wolf came at the sheep, and I, just, I would just run. <laughs> like, I don't have time for this. I don't care about it. The, they're not my sheep. But Ed, he was out there killing wolves, for real. He wasn't concerned about how wolves are kind of scary. He was like... And also, it's kind of illegal to kill wolves. He said, no, I don't care because they're killing my sheep. All of us have people that we're leading in some way. Even if we don't know it. Even if you're not in some you know, paid ministry position. Someone. And you lead someone by your example. And you lead someone by 
how you live your life. You lead by what you say. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Are you willing to lay down your life for other people? Or are you a hired hand? You know, in my life, I've been a hired hand far more often than I've been a good shepherd. I am far more willing to keep my own pleasures and my own security than I am to lay down my life for the sheep. And it's because I've lacked compassion in my life. If you are willing to lay down your life for the sheep, it's because you care about them. It's because they're, there, they're your sheep and you love them. And I've had to be taught what it means to be a good shepherd. Turn over to Psalm 23. So people are often described as sheep and God as a shepherd. And in Psalm 23, we get a beautiful picture of what kind of shepherd God is. In verse 1, we're going to read the whole thing. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a book that I read. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's a guy who had a bunch of sheep out in the Rocky Mountains. And he decided to start reading the Bible, and he read Psalm 23. He said, this sounds exactly like what I do for my sheep. And every single line describes something that shepherds need to do for sheep, because sheep are so needy. (laughs) It's really funny. Verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep will not lie down if they feel nervous at all. They will just stand there until they feel comfortable. And so you have to make them feel really good. When you, when you have sheep in the winter, you have to bring them out of the mountains. So what you'll do in the Rockies, especially, sort of like a, a herding thing. You bring them up into the mountains, and then in the winter, you, you bring them back down. But you have to prepare the fields yourself. So you have to go and plant certain types of seeds and pull out certain other ones that are dangerous for the sheep. And you, and you try to get these nutritious plants, right, that, that are really good for the sheep. But what's funny about sheep is they'll eat so much of the good food that it'll kill them. It's called bloat. And they just, the gases build up in their stomach and it explodes. Uh, That sounds like people, right? Too much of a good thing. Quiet waters, you got to show them where the water is. Like they will, like I, so I went online, I just started looking up stories about sheep. And it's not that sheep are always stupid, but there's certain things they just don't get. And so there's a fence. This guy was telling the story as a shepherd, and there's a fence, and there's water on the other side of the fence. So he went and opened the gate so that they could go get the water because they were staring at the water. So he assumed they must be thirsty, <laughs> which makes sense. They're giving cues. That's good. And he said they didn't go through the gate. They just stood there until he showed them where to go. <laughs> they were just looking at the water, and he said they probably would have 
dehydrated until they were dead. <laughs> he said another time his sheep, he had too much wool, and he needed to shear him, but one of them ran into a pond. And instead of getting out of the pond, he just sat there until he sunk. And then he had to go in and get the sheep. Because they won't even try to swim. They'll just wait until <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> sheep are not that smart. So you've got to lead them to the water. But some sheep, they don't want to be led. You know, in the book that I read, Psalm 23, Shepherd looks at, at Psalm 23, he talked about sometimes you get a sheep who just, they just want to leave the path. And they don't listen. And it doesn't matter how you correct them, reward or punish, they just keep doing it. And eventually other sheep start to follow them. And they leave the path and usually at least they're dead because they don't know where they're going and they just wander and fall off a cliff. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but the shepherd hated that sheep because it was leading the other sheep astray. Are you willing to be led by God? Or do you lead others astray? Let's keep reading. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds carried a rod and a staff. Sometimes we call it a crook, right? And one of them was to guide the sheep, and the other one was a weapon. So if anything attacked, they could kill it. When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, I imagine... There's some predators watching you. In fact, that's what he said. When I was in the Rockies, I had to watch there's certain valleys where predators would watch from above and pick out who they wanted to target and then come down and kill my sheep. So you have to be extra watchful. But the sheep feel secure when you have that weapon. God has a rod and he has a staff and he's not afraid to use it. And he'll use it on wolves and he'll use it on sheep who lead other sheep astray. But we don't have to fear evil. Because he is with us. This is the good shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, sheep actually don't get along that well sometimes. Um, at least according to the book. Again, I'm not a shepherd. I'm just trusting this guy is legit. And so the sheep don't get along. And they actually have a hierarchy. So if you're not at the top of the hierarchy, you get abused by the other sheep a lot. That sounds like our society in many ways, right? We abuse each other constantly. And that's how sheep are. And that's why he says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He says, I'm the lowest of the sheep. But the shepherd, when he's around, guess who's the top dog? It's that shepherd. So the other sheep get in line. They're not going to harm the other sheep because they know that there's someone who's even tougher than they are holding a staff. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Sometimes sheep, they get a lot of parasites like flies will plant eggs in their nose. Uh, they do all sorts of things. I mean, they just get attacked by bugs mercilessly. And one of the ways to protect them is put oil on their head because the fly can't deal with that. So all of this is a picture of a good shepherd. And David, of course, was a shepherd, so he understood this. And this is why he was able to draw this out. God is a good shepherd. He is not a hired hand. But why is God a good shepherd? What makes him good? Why wouldn't he be like a hired hand? It's a great question. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I would encourage you to get that book and read it. It's an amazing book. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. 
What makes the difference between being a hired hand and being a good shepherd? How do we get there? How did I go from a hired hand to sometimes a good shepherd? <laughs> I try to be a good shepherd now, and I used to not care at all. How did that happen? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, this is how Jesus was consistently described. This is the things that he did. What sort of things are you doing with your life? Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So what separates a hired hand and a good shepherd? It's how you see people. It's easy to walk around. You know, I'm, I'm always on campus. And you walk around campus and you see people and they live in one of the wealthiest countries. And they go to a university. So they're getting a great education. Most of them, they're okay. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with their life. But that's not true. Jesus saw the people of Israel and he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. How do you see people? You know, I want to be filled with compassion for people, but I'm not always. You have to see the need. When you see people's lives dead, like God does. God sees everything that's going on. And he cares about it. And therefore he acts. Ephesians 6.12 says that we're at war with, with the powers of darkness in this world. That we don't do war with each other. As Christians, we're called to not... Let's go there. Let's just go there. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, before I became a Christian, I was a broken man. And I was young. I, I got that's when I was 16 years old. But by the time I was 14, I knew I was broken. I knew that, that I had no control over my life. That I lived in evil and I walked in darkness. And there was no comfort for me. Constantly, I couldn't sleep. I was 14 years old. I couldn't sleep. Except in class. <laughs> I was miserable. And it's because I was at war with a power greater than myself, and I didn't even understand that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I was at war, and I didn't know it, and so I was losing. That's how the whole world is. They're at war with Satan. Satan is waging war on the world, and he's winning, and he wins. 
most people's lives. And they live in sin and they're okay with that. Now, I was blessed to be taught from a young age the Scriptures. And so it became obvious to me that I shouldn't be okay with living in sin. And whether or not you feel good when you sin is of little consequence to whether or not it's good for you. Sometimes people, we act like if it feels good, it must be good. That's just not true. And even if you feel happy living in your sin, that doesn't mean it's the ultimate happiness that you could achieve. And it doesn't mean that you're not deceived. So when we look at people, we need to see this war. Because then we can have compassion. We need to remember, some of us who have been baptized, we need to remember where we once were and how God rescued us. You know, Romans chapter 5, it tells us that He died for us while we were still sinners. It's not as if I've earned the right to stand up here and preach to you. I feel considerably unworthy. But I also know that God is with me despite my failures, despite my weakness. God died not just for you, but for all people. Do you see them that way? I had a conversation with a sister a couple years ago. This is a sensitive topic, so please don't be offended. Uh, It's possible. Uh, But instead, just listen to what I'm trying to say. So I was talking to a sister, and she said this to me. And it was a respectful conversation. It was a good conversation. But she said, I feel like this was on the night that um, Donald Trump got elected to be president. She said, I feel like he's the oppressor. And I said to her, Do you, have you considered that maybe Donald Trump himself is oppressed by the devil? Now, We don't always consider that. That all people, regardless of how messed up they are, are oppressed by the devil. Do you have compassion on them? You know, know, I was, uh, how old was I? Eight years old when 9-11 happened. And yet I was furious. And I was sad. And I couldn't believe that someone would attack people and murder them like that. And I felt like it was personal. And for years, I thought about getting revenge and doing what to them what they did to me. And it's funny, it's not like any of my friends or family died, but it was personal to me. And I was a little kid. And so for years, I thought, man, I just can't wait to go and fight the Taliban or whoever it was. I forget now. I just want to go fight the Taliban. I, want, I just want to, that's what I wanted to do. And I would pray, I would pray this, that God would bring judgment on them. And the reality is God is storing up wrath for sin. Sometimes you say, where's God in the face of all this evil? He's in heaven, storing up wrath. It's true. But for now, He's patient with us. Because He wants everyone to be saved. And that includes the Taliban. And that includes Donald Trump. And whoever you see as your enemy. I had to learn that Jesus said to love our enemies in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. And so I started praying for the Taliban, which is a very strange thing that came out of my mouth. The first time I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> I started praying for them. I said, God, show them the truth. Help them to repent. And forgive them. Have mercy on them. The amount of compassion that that has caused to overflow in my life is not of this earth. Because when you pray for even your enemies, you realize how much hatred you have even for people you call your friends. 
Well, there's a lot of things in this world that want to our compassion. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. So I urge you, if you don't like Donald Trump very much, or even if you feel like you hate him, pray for him. If you don't like the Taliban, or I don't even care who it is, think of anyone that you feel like is your enemy, pray for them. It will soften your heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, this is what I call compassion killers. Verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now jump over to Ephesians chapter 4. I did this last time. We should have stayed in Ephesians first. So we were already there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And he reiterates himself. God, God repeats himself a lot because we don't listen very well. Verse 17. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, the biggest compassion killer is sin. Sin hardens our heart. God repeats himself a lot. Sin hardens your heart. And compassion is really about sensitivity and softness of heart. So when you tolerate sin in your life, it destroys your compassion. How many of us have a heart that has shriveled up to the size of a TV screen? I think I do sometimes. Turn off the TV. Turn off the video games. For years, I would play video games and and play video games and play video games and just keep going until it got to a place where I didn't care about anyone else because I was so absorbed in my little world. And I don't say that to be harsh, ungracious, but you don't want your heart to shrivel up to the size of Fortnite. It's not a very loving game. If you want to, be, if you want to have a soft heart, you need to be cleansed of your sin. And I'm talking sexual morality. I'm talking overindulgence. I'm talking hatred. And God is the only one who can cleanse you. And that's what leads to a soft heart. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know where it went. Every morning, I wake up and I, I look at this thing. I don't know. If I've probably shown you guys this. This is a picture of my grandfather. And he's holding a basketball. He was a good basketball player. It says, in loving memory of Lars. Oh, it's not his name. <laughs> That's what we called him, though. Because every day I'm reminded there are people out there who need Jesus who are dying. We are all dying. The moment you were born, you started dying. Do you realize that? And people need Jesus. 
And we have to have compassion on them. That's why Jesus said, when he looked at the people, he saw their need and he said, pray that you send out workers into the harvest field. Are you too afraid to care about others? Are you too afraid to speak and open your mouth? This lesson is kind of hard on me because I still lack compassion and I need reminders. And I need help. But I want to give you guys some practicals. Okay, how do I grow in my compassion? Because this is something that I, I still pray about every day. God, help me to be compassionate because I'm not. And I hate people naturally. That's what I do. You know, I read a journal Scientific American. Hate is addictive. It's about as addictive as cocaine. But we're far more concerned about cocaine use than we are about hate addiction. First practical is this. Learn to practice putting the needs of others first in small ways. You know, when you see the dishes need to be done, just do them. Isn't that good? Offer to clean up. Offer rides to people who need them. It's such a small thing, but I'll tell you what, it'll soften your heart. You go, man, that was good. God was right. It's good to serve others. And be a good learner. Ask lots of questions when you're talking to people. My tendency is to make assumptions, as if I know everything. You know, someone opened the mouth and I'm already formulating my answer to them before they've even <laughs> finished talking. That's not very compassionate. That's actually a pretty prideful way, like as if I knew what they were going to say. I read this, uh, this book and it's, it had an interesting question. It said, when's the last time you had an argument with someone and you won and you went back and thought about how you could have lost? <laughs> we always go back and think, man, how could I have won this argument? I better refine my techniques. <laughs> but that's not a heart of humility or compassion. Don't wait for others. Be diligent. You know, I try to be willing. When people ask me to do something, I try to be willing. But it's good even more so to be diligent. To ask, what do you need? Or to say, hey, I saw this need. How can I take care of this? Or just do it. Don't even talk to anyone. Just make it happen. Number three, practice spiritual disciplines. And by that, I mean prayer. I mean studying the Word. I mean getting time alone with God. I think it's also a spiritual discipline to be generous with your money. And there's many spiritual disciplines. But it's encounters with God's Spirit that transform our heart. I don't think you can expect to become a loving person without the Spirit of God. It's impossible. I tried before I was a Christian to be more kind and to be more loving. And maybe it worked for a day or two, but eventually it was gone. There was no lasting change. So we need to practice spiritual disciplines and love them. Last night I was reading my Bible and I just loved it. And I don't always feel that way, but man, I loved it. Because God is full of compassion and I needed that. Number four, detach from worldly compassion killers. What in your life kills compassion? Is it video games? Sexual morality? I don't know. There's all sorts of things. Sin kills compassion. You need to get away from that. Matter of fact, sin is the opposite of compassion. 
I think number five is a helpful one. Ask others what you are good at. When you know your skills, you can feel more confident to help others. Right? Like, like Jared went to, uh, what's the country called? Zambia. He went to Zambia and Africa because he has some skills that people need. He was able to, I don't know, I don't remember what you did. You built some cool stuff. I know that. <laughs> he's got skills with construction. Use those to love others. And if you don't know what they are, identify some. And if you can't, get a passion and get good at it. <laughs> Even if it's history, which is one of my passions, and I, I just talk people's ears off. and like, what use is this? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I would have had a passion for construction or something. I think be a great follower. When you're asked to do something, it's usually better to do it, unless there's some reason it would be wrong. I think it's good to do it, right? If, if you're in a Bible talk, and the Bible talk leader says, hey, could you bring snacks? Or something weird like that. I don't know. <laughs> do it. <laughs> because it teaches you that action is good, and non-action is not very compassionate. The last two are the most important to me. Pray constantly for a compassionate heart and pray for your enemies. And I mean that. All of us should be doing that. If you view someone as your enemy, write it down. This is my enemy. I'm going to pray for them. It's Matthew 5.44. If you're wondering whether or not that's biblical, go read Matthew 5.44. Jesus did not teach us to make war, but to love our enemies. And if you pray for them, it softens your heart more than you can possibly imagine. I no longer feel the need to go to the Middle East. Even though what, for example, if you take ISIS, what they're doing is horrible. But I don't feel that it's my role to judge them. Now, I will judge their actions and say, that is evil. i got no qualms about that. But God is the judge, and I'm here. I was sent here to love them and pray for them. Make a list of people that you need to pray for and have compassion on. Serve the poor, by the way. Should have been number nine. Serve the poor. Because that's what Jesus did. And it builds compassion. If you want to be someone who takes initiative to act for the good of others, you need to see past the fog of war. Satan has created a fog in our minds about what's really going on in the world. You need to take up the light yoke of Jesus. It's a light yoke. It doesn't mean it's not challenging. But it's good. You see the reality of what's going on in people's lives. Cultivate a heart of compassion. Eliminate compassion killers. I'm not expecting perfection. I'm not perfect. And watch, just watch as God's Spirit transforms your heart to actually care about people. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. And you'll do things that you never thought you would do. And you'll love in a way that you never thought you could. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I feel uh, so inadequate to preach this message. In some ways, my heart and my mind are all over the place, but I am filled with hope that each one of us would have a transformation towards greater compassion, that each one of us would love our families and our friends and our enemies more than we ever have. Without love, Lord, we have nothing. We could have all the faith in the world, and it would mean nothing. We could have all the knowledge and every skill and talent, and without love, it's meaningless. Father, we know that you are love. We know that if we don't love your family, we cannot love you. That's what your word teaches us, and 
Lord, we're inadequate to the task. Give us a heart of love. Help us to be filled with your spirit as we go out into the world this coming week and we strive to love our enemies, to love our neighbors, to love the poor, to love all people, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, you stand up. We're going to sing a song. No? Did something change?